This is The Verse, a weekly dive into the cinematic universes and beyond. We'll dissect the latest episodes, films, and news all fans from veterans to news are dying to know more about. Now, here's our team of pop culture superheroes we call The Verse Squad. Welcome to The Verse. Welcome back to The Verse, the podcast that plays interdimensionally. In fact, we're uh, pretty big in the Noor dimension. This week, we go back to Jersey City, and then to Pakistan to cover more Ms. Marvel. And then we meet up with the Admiral for another session of the Versus Star Trek 101 Academy. But before we do, let's meet the team. I'm Norm. I'm Lucas. And I'm... uh, Wait a second. Where's Bridget and Bert? Well, last I heard they were on their way to CockneyCon. I guess that makes sense. I better get a jump on them letting... Rhymes, I do, me, me blokes. Mm-hmm. What? Sounds right. Uh, let's, let's agree to never speak of this again. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and I'm Emilia, and we're actually skipping the verse news. Instead, we're just keeping it simple <laughs> with a couple of segments and this big news. We are going to be interviewing the head writer and executive producer of Ms. Marvel, Bisha K. Ali. And we're also interviewing the creator and showrunner of the Umbrella Academy, Steve Blackman, in the coming days. So if you have any questions you'd like us to ask, please send them into our Twitter page, at The Versecast. Plus, in episode 56, our very own sneaky, backstabbing, no good, uh, I mean, Lucas and Norm interviewed Peacemaker star Danielle Brooks. Without the help of me and Bridget. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa. That's not fair. It wasn't our choice. Yeah, Norm's right. This was all because of Dorothy. She sent us on a mission. Maybe you'll get one soon. And if we didn't follow the rules, we could have became cubes, and I wanted to avoid that. I think I'd prefer the cubes. What was that? What did she say? Uh, I said, let's, let's start talking Ms. Marvel cubes. I mean, dudes. So in the, uh, latest... Two episodes of Ms. Marvel, um, episodes three and four, we find Kamala Khan's new friends aren't exactly um, friendly in order to try and get back to their home dimension, as she finds out their um, jinn. They attack her to try and get the Bengal, which leads her back to her roots in Pakistan. Yes, and they attack her during uh, her brother's wedding, so that's a fun that's a very fun back, backdrop. A really weird uh, sequel to Wedding Crashers, for sure. <laughs> we did get a lot of great uh, wedding dancing, though. That's one of the things that you know I was I was hoping for, and they delivered on the the wedding procession and dancing. Which, by the way, can we just talk about Bruno stealing the show in that episode with his <laughs> dance moves? He got down. He got some moves. He did. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know if anybody else has ever been to an, uh, an Islamic wedding, but um, it takes place over three days, and it's very festive because um, if anybody doesn't know, one of the pillars of Islam is there's no alcohol, and because of that you have, you, know, you have to find different reasons to and different ways to celebrate instead of getting drunk and and doing the uh, chicken dance, right? So they pu- they put on skits for each other um, to entertain the bride and groom, and a lot of times it's something that's usually very personable to the bride and groom, whether it's a, a particular song 
or a dance style that um, maybe they did in college or usually someone dresses up to like simulate the, the two. It's actually a very fun and very interesting thing, especially when you're an outsider and you have no introduction beforehand to it and you're just caught wild in it. Thank you to my uh, best friend, Sarfraz Haroon, for that one. I haven't had the pleasure yet, unfortunately. I'll say anytime there's dancing at a wedding, I'll be there. And I get very frustrated when I go to some weddings and there's like nobody on the dance floor except for me and my wife. Yeah, it doesn't that, stop does that us. Happen? Oh, yeah. Yes, it happens. I went to some in Missouri that were, there was alcohol too. So you'd think there was like no real excuse. Right. Um, but anyway. Oh, wow. I've only yeah. ever been to one wedding. <gasps> well, you probably have a lot in your future, just to, to warn mm. you. People tell me that. And I, I always thought like, how could people get sick of weddings? Like the one that I went to seemed really fun. And then I. When you, when you get like five or six a year, that's when they get. It's yeah, it's less about the event itself. It's more about the effort and travel and expense of going yeah. to said wedding. And especially when those people, you're like, they're not going to last. And then they don't like a year or two later. They're, that's when it starts really, you know, pinching a little. Well, it's funny because I've got two coming up and I'm already like. And I'm like mildly involved in both of them, and, and I'm already kind of fed up with the cost. See, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't end either. <laughs> yeah, no, it gets worse. Um, but anyways, all this right, was back a to Miss Marvel. Yeah, this was yes. a this was a fun wedding, and um, you know, we talked in earlier episodes about the um, the family dynamic that's happening in this uh, in this show. And it's on full display in these two episodes, one hundred percent. Like, and I'm I'm really glad Marvel's doing this again. We we've talked about how it's a breath of fresh air to see more character and cultural driven stories than what they've done in the past. It, it's it's really freshening things up. And this wedding wa- was even beforehand. You were getting the sense when uh, the mother and the father were trying to talk to the son about what it is, what family does and and how to be a better person and choosing love and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, it made this, these two episodes to me felt way better than the episodes before it. Like it felt more like, like more geared towards me than the previous Mm -hmm. episodes were. The funny thing is though, like, even though I enjoy the cultural elements even more, like that's the stuff I want to watch when it gets down to the fighting and action stuff, I kind of like not as into it. Like, I just don't really feel like the stakes are that high. And I kind of just get bored of like a lot of the action things. Uh, but then, you know, it makes up for it with all the cultural stuff. Um, and I want to, when we get to the next episode, I'll talk about all the things that I just adored about it um, because I can't travel right now. So <laughs> there's things I miss about the world. <laughs> so it's nice to be brought to them in my living room if I can't go there in person. Um, but for this, the, again, that's how I felt about the wedding, though. I'm like, man, I haven't been to a wedding in a long time now uh, and I haven't been around a lot of people like that since COVID. So it really made me, like, similar to Emilia, I was like, man, why don't people like weddings? I want to go to a wedding. Like, I kind of wish I was there hanging out with everybody. So that was, like, really nice. And um, I do, I did like the the spin on it where we thought these were going to be her people, the djinns, and now they're all attacking her at this wedding. And I love that she acted. She, like, stepped up and, you know, just did what she had to do in the moment, which is get into a fight behind the scenes, which, by the way, my favorite thing was the, the kitchen staff who were, like, uh-uh. I'm not dealing with this. I ain't getting paid enough. <laughs> At and first, just it was funny because she comes busting like everybody out, and they're like, "Yeah, whatever." Yeah, whatever. And then all yeah, stuff like... happens, and they're like, "Nope, never mind. We're out." 
Yeah. I mean, this is Jersey. I totally like, trust me. I, I know it. Like what's the emergency, whatever. Another one. Okay. Oh, okay. Never mind. But um, yeah. So, you know, I like those little details of it. And I have to say Kamala, um, sorry, what's her name of the actress? Um, Iman. She's just like, so, so likable. I mean, it's, it's hard to not like the series because she's so likable, like her as a character. Um, and so I just think it was really smart casting. And we get the, the dad got a little more to do in this one with the, was it, with the, isn't that the pie? Isn't that from like the comic? The, the little like he eats a little moon pie thing, whatever at the. Oh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. That might be an Easter egg. I was seeing that on Reddit, but whatever. Uh, so, yeah, there was a lot in that in this uh, episode um, three. Uh, to really like, which is called Destined. Uh, and then we also got to see more of the hunters of the superheroes. Um, what What is the name of those that group? The Damage Control... Department of Damage Control. I think. Department of Damage Control, yeah, DODC. Yeah. Uh, so we got a little more of them, who definitely feel a little more scary than I was expecting. You know, like, I... Yeah. I could use a little more on the DODC agents, Department of Damage Control... Because uh, in like episode one, the, they're introduced in the post credit scene, very bold post credit scene placement, and we meet um, one of the agents who's played by Ariane Moyad, which who is like this really great actor who's also in Succession and Inventing Anna, <laughs> if you're a Shonda Land fan. But he's great, and we haven't really seen him much since. We've just seen like the other agents, and they're scary, uh, and they like seem kind of Islamophobic too and that's all interesting but I just like right now they're kind of like faceless baddies mm-hmm. you know and I, have so a I feeling think that's we're... also making the, the action a little less interesting yeah I have a feeling we're not going to get much on them either because we're already in episode we did three then four and we really didn't get to see much I'm, I'd be surprised if they didn't pop up again in future episodes but I'm with you on that like you know, they have to do so much storytelling and world building with uh, Kamala and her family that I feel like in some ways they've kind of had to leave off a little bit of this entire agency where I'm like, yeah, like, so are they Homeland? It's supposed to be like Homeland Security, I feel like, that was created because of superheroes. And there's something to be said about that, which, by the way, the New York uh, NYPD, as well as uh, Homeland Security, did target uh, Muslims right after September 11th in a, like, blew through the constitution and really like in horrific ways were targeting completely innocent communities and it's been documented so i kind of like that they're you know showing how that feels and showing that angle but at the same time they're only kind of like teasing it because we don't really get too much of what who they who this agency is yeah and then in that in the episode there's also a ton of um like talk about how the fellow people who are a part of the mosque feel about the potential that one of their own is, uh, what are they mm-hmm. calling her? Nightlight? Night. Yeah. Was it nightlight or night flight? Oh, maybe it was nightlight. I think it was nightlight. Night light. Light. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah. it's kind of lame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think, <laughs> but like they go over how that they all have different feelings and opinions on, on, on this potential person who might be in their own mosque. And it's it's an interesting lens to see things through because you know you only a lot of times you only get to see one side of these stories mm-hmm. and to, to cover it from different angles and remind people that every single person is their own person uh, is a fun exercise. 
Yeah, and I like that it shatters Kamala's, uh, you know, like image of what she thought a superhero was. And she realized, no, the repercussions, even if I do the right thing, it could have terrible repercussions on my community. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what does it really mean to do the right thing? And that was that was that's a really like mature and complex way of viewing the whole like superhero world. and and that's reflected by the um the lead, the, the the head of the mosque telling Kamala that well good and bad are you know they aren't it's not a thing you are it's a thing you do yeah and again it's 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 interesting and fun to to explore those dynamics especially in this setting yeah especially like the different viewpoints and like the the kinds of judgments that you face by standing out in this way is like very it's like it's very culturally relevant here you know in this particular culture where you're like you're at the mercy of the aunties and who are gossiping and like that is devastating in its own way but it it (laughs) is also like relevant in a broader sense because i feel like that's not something that's always a part of a superhero's story even though it would be something that everyone like all of our heroes would deal with is like the the broader repercussions the judgments the ways that they're like interpreted by people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the haters and the um the fans like it's it's touched on but like here i feel like they really shine a spotlight on the the kind of cost of the sort of fame yeah and also the it, they also tie it into the cost of also being a hero and doing the right thing even though it hurts the people you love when she pulls the fire alarm and has to ruin her own brother's wedding. She knew that if she left, if she didn't pull the alarm, people could have gotten seriously hurt, maybe even killed. And she had to sacrifice her brother's moment of happiness for, you know, to, to keep them alive. And her parents find out because one of the, the aunties caught her or saw, mm-hmm. and of course they took her, the aunties word for other over um, Kamala. And it shatters her a little bit. Yeah, especially for she's like only a teenager. Yeah. Um, choices like that that might seem really obvious, like a seasoned hero would obviously make that choice in a heartbeat. But mm-hmm. not only is she a new hero, she's like, I don't remember how old she is, <laughs> 17 or I something? I think 17, yeah. Yeah, she's they're getting ready to graduate high school. Yeah, and that's like crazy young for that kind of responsibility. But what is interesting, and I, Norm, I'd love to know if it's similar to the comic books, and it seems like it is, that that is the tension, right? It's always like, what's it like being a superhero with your family? So, Which we don't really get to see often in a lot of these superhero stories. What they did in the comic books with Kamala Khan was classic Peter Parker Spider-Man, which was, I have a family, I have a, an obligation to them, I have, you know, in, in Spider-Man it was to Aunt, to Aunt May. And then here for Kamala, it was, it's the same way. I have an obligation to my family and my my community, but at the same time, while I'm trying to do these things that are good, it's ruining my personal life because I'm trying to keep everyone safe and happy. Mm-hmm. And in the comic books, literally, she gets past. She basically becomes the new Spider-Man in that sense. If you ever yeah. read a Spider-Man comic book, <clears throat> it was always that dynamic. Yeah, and as a kid, that's what attracted me to Spider-Man. So I can understand why, you know, younger people who came across Miss Marvel, this probably was, it was their Spider-Man. That's right. 100%. I never even thought of it that way, yeah. 100% was their Spider-Man. 
Well, before we move on to the next episode, which I really want to talk about, um, is there any other things we wanted to illuminate on episode three? Again, cultural uh, context here. Anybody's probably heard them talk about the nicknames they've gone by, um, Genies and Jin. You might be like, oh, Genie, you know, Genie and mm-hmm. the Lamp, always a good thing. Um, Jin in, in the Islamic culture is actually seen more as a... Uh, malef- a malevolent uh, being. It's usually a trickster of kinds, and they're not very nice to people. In fact, they're actually usually very brutal um, to them. They're they're more or less demons. Uh, so, mm-hmm. if anybody's wondering, like, oh, why is she so upset about maybe being a jinn? This is why. <laughs> like, just so she everyone... does say that in there, though, right? She, uh, I remember a it's line like where the she's stuff of her nightmares. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, so I think it's a callback too, because in an earlier episode, they someone or she mentions like childhood fear of of the jinn. Yeah, it, uh, my my buddy's uh, family is very um, very superstitious of them, like, mm, and it's they they are like you know Catholics seem to blame everything on demons and and devils, and in Islam, it's it's usually the jinn. Learned something new today. Thank you, Norm. You're welcome. <laughs> well, you know, at the end of this episode, she ends up having kind of like a hallucination, and uh, a vision of this like train, right? That's like barreling towards her. Uh, and then she gets a phone call from her Nana over in Pakistan. And she's like, I had that vision too. You got to come here, which I thought was funny that in the storytelling, then the, the next episode, seeing red starts with them, like flying to Pakistan, like, the whole family. And I just love it how the mom was like, I'm so mad at you. And like, you're allowed to talk on this plane ride. But like, it was just this idea of being like, she ruined her brother's wedding and they're still going to let her go on this trip. <laughs> Only because your family. Nana said so. Okay, which I get. Yeah. I mean, it just was funny to me that I was like, wow. Well, so again, we, fire alarm. We, we talked about it and, and the, the family dynamic is so interesting because you see that there's something like there's obviously um, a little bit of a, a disconnect between Kamala and her mother, but then there's also a disconnect between uh, Kamala's mother and her mother. Yeah, I, which I liked about this episode is we got to see a little more of the mother as a real person, not just as like right. the mom. Yeah, this was actually this is like kind of odd for me because you know, in some ways I'm like, oh, this is a Asian families and immigrant family and so there's probably going to be a lot of things that I like can relate to and it speaks to the diversity of Asians in America uh that I am actually like not like alienated per se but just like I'm just like wow there's a lot less here <laughs> that I thought that I can latch on to that I thought I was because their family dynamic is so um dramatically different Mm-hmm. And like not in a good or bad way, just like different. I mean, obviously, it's like a uh, it's a TV show that's like aimed for a younger audience. So there's there's a warmth to it that, or like a a kind of like um, cleanness to it that might not reflect like perfectly real life. Sure. But some of the conflicts that they deal with, um, and the way that they react to things as a family, the the types of disconnect, like I relate, but really it is very different and i thought that and that also made it like fascinating to me as well like seeing this the the nana who is like kind of this like dreamer type 
like mm-hmm. Kamala, uh, mm-hmm. seems to skip a generation because there has to be a generation in between to be responsible, I guess. Um, and that dynamic was like not necessarily something I expected. It's definitely a different dynamic than what I'm used to seeing in media lately. Uh, to see the the mother daughter mother daughter and then mother grandmother relationship or I'm sorry granddaughter grandmother relationship uh, just be so radically different. I mean I'm starting I'm starting to see that now that I have kids and how my kids interact with my my mother and father and how it's different than how they interacted with me and and vice versa. So it's it's very interesting to see that and be like okay this is kind of a common theme for me right now mm-hmm. not taken to any extreme whatsoever that that this seems to but then again you know it's it's a show and you have to it's actually hilarious though to see like you, the young like for me it's nieces and nephews how my parents treat them i'm like why weren't you to this you weren't this nice to us exactly <laughs> why are you so fun and cool hanging out with them i was you running around so in the nice. backyard like that yeah. crazy swinging <laughs> stuff you would have screamed at me and told me to put yeah, it down exactly like, well, you're the parent. Deal with it. Uh, okay. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I agree. That's one of the things that makes this show, you know, engaging for me is the family dynamic and how it all, you know, it's it seems more, um, you know, nuanced than what I would suspect or expect from something like this. Right. Because there's also, like, you also sense the love. It's not like it's just, like, there's turmoil. The turmoil also comes from the fact that there there's a deep deeply rooted love for each other in this. And you see that like in the episode towards the end, when um, the the mother and the grandmother are talking to each other and she's like, where did all these toffee boxes come from? And he's like, well, you liked it. So I kept buying it thinking you were going <laughs> to come home one day. And it's like, Oh, that's really, you're going to, you know, just tug at that heartstring a little bit. Like I didn't you suckers. <laughs> and then they have them both eating the toffee. And it's so hard. <laughs> Those little details, you know, you can tell just speak to uh, an intimacy of the of the culture. Uh, although, listen, I haven't been able to travel internationally in since 2018. Now is it 29? No, 2019. 2019 right before maybe? the pandemic. So this for me is just a, a relief to to be traveling the world. It's one of the reasons I love Moon Knight. Is I'm like if I can't travel right now, I want to like I do want to see new places and new things. Although it's funny, I've been to uh, Bangkok, Thailand, where they filmed this episode. Yeah, I could tell it was is definitely not Pakistan, uh, and it, it was filmed in Bangkok, Thailand, that episode. But I have to say, since visit, I've been to Thailand and I all over, you know, um, uh, East Asia and stuff, and I've been wanting to do a tuk tuk uh, chase scene, action chase scene for forever, <laughs> and so it made me so happy to see that in this episode because I've been dying to, for somebody to do it. So, so this is the one part of the episode where I'm, I'm going to say like. Like I started getting really like confused by because all of a sudden the these red daggers show up and the fight scene it's it's more like they were playing than fighting and like he but there's a lot of people getting stabbed in the then, back. I got a little <laughs> lost in this. Sequence. I definitely felt lost as well. <laughs> it's like wait a, wait a minute like hold on they're. Kamala's supposed to be part Jin. These red daggers are supposed to be hunting the Jin. Mm-hmm. But then he find they find out that she's only half Jin and therefore not like she's a threat, not part of the clandestines. Then then let me train you or show you so what we know. Like there was buddies. a 
Yeah, it, <laughs> I didn't. I'm glad you're asking these forced. questions because if you asked me, I couldn't have answered it. I I totally couldn't figure out what was really going on or the motivations behind it. I thought they were doing it to trick her like the other people did. That's but then what it I sort of seemed first. like they weren't. Yeah, yeah and then like, all of a sudden at the end, I'm like, they weren't, and now I'm really confused. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. Pr- I'm even more confused at the end of this episode than at the beginning. Although I like, you know, I enjoyed this one probably just as much or maybe even a little more in some ways from the family dynamic. I just love that they had the tuk-tuk chasing and the the whole family on a motorcycle. Like, <laughs> if, if, if Americans haven't traveled around the world, like, norms are very different. Like, just yes. safety, regulations, law, behaviors – and so seeing a, a family of four on a, on a scooter is completely normal and, and acceptable with no helmets or safety. Like, that's so much of the world. So seeing that portrayed just made me, like, like I said, I, I miss traveling. Yeah. But this episode, again, gets into, is, again, very culturally driven with, like, the different dynamics in the family. And then at the end, they, well, there's, like, um, mentions of historical events, most notably the partition, um, mm-hmm. throughout the episode, but at the end, Kamala is actually transported to a vision um, of oh, yeah, the she... night of the partition. So she blocks a blow from a knife on her bangle, and then suddenly the sound or the... The, the, the impact. Impact, you know, thrusts her into a vision. So she's, like, physically in back in time during the partition, and she's... And there's the train that she's been seeing in her vision. Um which, by the way, it's a cool cliffhanger, and it makes me really excited to see the next uh, episode because that's the story I'm, in many ways, most interested in. And uh, the fact that, remember, she saw the one photo of her of her Nana when she was a kid, and I was like, I knew when they pulled that out, I'm like, that's foreshadowing. Like, pay yeah. attention because this is going to come back around. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I do like where they're going, and I'm hoping uh, that all these questions we have where I'm like, I don't know what the heck's going on. I'm assuming they're going to... They had to do some quick storytelling to get us to this point to explain it is what I'm expecting to happen. You know, this has been a bit of a thing that some superhero shows have been doing lately, giving us history lessons that are darker parts of history that Mm -hmm. whether or not we want to admit to it, we we are a part of. Yeah. Uh, You know, Watchmen did it with the Tulsa Massacres. And God, that's such a good show that I we can talk about that in another yeah. episode. Then, but uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, had some really like we were surprised. Remember when they they went kind of deep and dark on some of the shameful episodes of American history? Yeah, and then so, yeah, this is I'm glad they're here, doing it. They're here. They're shining a light on how much the British messed up a lot of the world by uh, doing colonization. So yeah. yeah, yeah, and I hope I'm excited for the next episode because I think taking us into the event is going to be really like impactful and heavy hitting because right now people kind of talk around it a little bit and like her family will be like you know she's i think she's talking to her nana who's like oh yeah this thing that was like just up to a few british people that like (laughs) the writing around that i was like uh it was a little bit like I don't know. I just didn't feel like they were talking about a real thing because they were like, just they were like, oh, yeah, it felt like they were they were espousing a talking point. And so I think actually taking us to the event will help us understand, like, the very real trauma, the pain, maybe the anger, the rawness of that. Right. I don't I don't want to showing not telling, which I always appreciate. Right. I don't want to, like, pull out bad 
memories for anyone, but um, I'm Lucas, I'm, I'm probably sure you've hit this as well. You know, when I hear some of my old fam, my mother's side of the family, when they would talk about um, leaving like parts of um, Poland and, and, and Russia and, and Czechoslovakia and all those uh, places when, you know, the, the USSR was going up and whatnot, they, they kind of talk about it the same way. It's an event that happened and they don't really want to dwell on it because they they want to repress that. They don't want to relive it. They don't want to talk uh, about it. To this day, I have no clue where my family came from in uh, in Russia, Eastern Europe, because they left it all behind, and it was so painful. They didn't want to talk about it or look at That's it. That's what I mean. But it also made them want to integrate into the United States so quickly because they were like, yeah. you know, it was so traumatic. And it's a shame, honestly. Like, I really, it sucks for the younger generation to not get those stories and those narratives because th- those are lost now, and we don't, like, have those to, like, hold up and and understand where we came from. Yeah. No, and it's, yeah. it's, it's like that also for some, a lot of veterans. I, my, mm-hmm. my father's uncle, I'm sorry, my grandfather's uncle, uh, you know, he, he fought in the Pacific during world war two and he hated talking about it. He, I had like, they, there were days where like I had a report to give and I had to, you know, like, uh, interview someone who was there, like through these events and he just was like, I don't want to talk about this. You got to understand this was not, this is not something I'm proud of. It's not something yeah. I want to relive. Like you have to understand that. And it's like, it's the same yep. way for anyone who has to survive these things. I was yeah. lucky. My, my wife's uh, grandfather, he fought in five different campaigns of the Pacific, you know, with the Marines. And like, he never told any of his kids about it. He just, his whole thing was like, I don't, you're never going to join the armed forces. His whole, mm-hmm. that was his thing. Like that was the line. Like, I don't care what you do with your lives. You're not going to join the armed forces. Right. And then when I came around, he was like, you know, in his late eighties and he finally was starting to open up. And because I was like, not part of the family really yet. Uh, he was very open with me about all these stories that he shared, but it was interesting because he'd only share stories he thought were funny. Yeah. And I'll tell you, they weren't really like, they're funny in context, I guess. But you know, like if he's only willing to share these stories, like what, what he what saw that he's not willing to share is like, you don't like, it has to be so horrific that like, these are the little ones he cherry pick that he thought there was right. some humor behind. So yeah, so yeah generational I've... trauma is, is really weird like that because like, you just, you can't, it's so hidden. Like you can't possibly know about it until it's affecting you in some kind of psychological way, way down the line. It's hard mm-hmm. to trace because like, I don't, I, to this day, I don't really know what my parents <laughs> went through. Like, I think that yeah. they were relatively lucky uh, growing up in the, in the, like when they did in China, but like, my like they don't really talk a lot about the very real horrible things that were happening. And anytime that like, they might talk about their past, it's very like, Here's like the idyllic things that we experienced. Mm-hmm. Here's like right. the what time before remember, like yeah. certain like the internet or whatever. And right. then occasionally there'll be like a, a very matter of fact explanation of like this is what this thing was like. And it's like things that they don't necessarily know are super messed up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um yeah. they haven't like figured that out yet, so they're willing to say it and like then their kids are just like whoa okay like what we don't know how to react here because we don't want to we don't want to shut you up by saying something like that's yeah. messed up you don't want to like <laughs> yeah you're like you're finally talking about it so you just had to, to do the tightrope of like just like encouraging oh, yeah. without you that know is, getting them to yeah. clam up that with, could be normal maybe <laughs> which is which is why when they were dancing around this with the mother and the grandmother i thought it was really powerful and really did like like you said emilia when you go into 
that era and like whether whether she's actually being teleported there or if it's just a uh, a vision of some kind it, it makes it more powerful and that's why i think this episode for me like really drew me in and i was like wow this, okay now now this feels like it's made more for me mm-hmm. than like the first two episodes where i was like ah this is more of like a a tweens uh like drama series you know rom-com drama so i'm I'm ready for more and I'm this cliffhanger has me has me in. Yeah, I did not see this coming. Truly, I didn't think we were going to leave Jersey City. So this just yeah, came as either. a huge shock and I was like, wow, this is suddenly became way more of an interesting story and I'm glad we stuck with it and and we're, you know, watching it for this Look, reason. Look, that that crew didn't want to be in Jersey City any longer than any real person wants to be in Jersey City. They were like, Jersey City, how fast can we get out of here? Episode 4? Can we do episode three? No. <laughs> All right. As a native, you're allowed to say that. Yes, I am. <laughs> Lucky for them, they get to go to quote unquote Karachi. And when I say Karachi, I mean, according to Lucas, Bangkok. Well, yeah. I'm, well, according to IMDb, they said they filmed those scenes there. And it did look familiar to me, though, because I've been to Bangkok. And I was like, I don't think I just also know how film productions work. Like, it would be ideal to film in the location you want to. But there's like tax incentives and you need to make sure you can actually like have a pipeline to, to get visas and people over there and, and working properly and and where you're going to source gear and hotels and if you already have all these relationships you know you do what you got to do so i don't never hold it against the production if they're like we made karachi look like pakistan okay um my last comment uh that house looked amazing <laughs> anyone else that, uh, i was looking at that house going Man, I was like, like super jealous of her whole experience going back to like her homeland because I'm just like, dude, anytime I've gone back to China, it has been one nonstop stressful adventure because people like my relatives, like my some of my younger cousins speak OK English mm-hmm. and I speak like pretty pretty basic Chinese. And so it's just a nonstop stress of like people being really psyched to see me. And trying to talk to me and wanting to communicate, and I just cannot give it back to them. And mm-hmm. they're just like, when I was a kid, Google actually, translates my, your friend. I'll just say that. When, when I was a kid, my my cousins thought that I was like, that I was like speech impaired. Like literally, they they asked my mom if I was a insert slur in Chinese here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was like so embarrassing. And and, she, and then we got like Kamala, she's like hanging out with her really cool cousins around a fire, just being teenagers. Yeah. It's like, dude, that's awesome. See, I I'm jealous because I don't have that. I, I can't. I like seriously. Like if I if I tried going back to trace my roots, I'd have to I'd have to go off my mom's side. And there's nothing. Like we don't know because they they left for obvious reasons. What was going on in Eastern Europe? So yeah, same here. <laughs> Both sides of my family are a bunch of gypsies fleeing persecution or just like couldn't ha- like couldn't take being around other people and they fled to America. So yeah, yeah. don't have a lot of routes to explore. But I'll say exactly. all I'm my saying. traveling internationally was like I stay in hotels and then I would go into people's houses, but it's like, you know, I'm just in there for a couple hours and out interviewing them or whatever. So yeah, I never get to actually spend time with people in a lot of my travels. So that was really fun to, you know, like I said, yeah. it's that's the best parts of the show or there's just the stuff that's all about family and community. Yeah. So super jealous of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Same. Oh, do we have any Easter eggs or things? Like I said, that was one. My only one was that they actually filmed in um, Bangkok. 
not Karachi. During the map, I guess you want to call it map dimensional talk, uh, they made mention of the other planes of existence, one of which was basically Asgard. So, ah, okay. A... I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. So there was that. Yeah. Other than that, I, I, I think I just missed a few. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Walid, who was the leader of the Red Daggers, died, and I... I'm sorry to say I felt nothing. I I cuz I did not know. <laughs> we just met him 30 seconds ago. Yeah. <clears throat> not really nice. And and honestly, it's weird cuz I figured he died very earlier when they first busted in and he was trying to um save them and then you see the guy get thrown against the glass and the next thing you know he he jumps through the glass you're like, "Oh, he's okay." And then later on, another knife to the back and you're like, "But not that time." <laughs> yeah. Not that time. A lot of stabbing in the back. A lot of stabbing going on in this one. For like, you know, kind of a kid show. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's like, maybe they can't do gun violence. I don't really know how all that works. I always like, I always prefer a knife fight over a gunfight in many ways in, in film, but that's just my preferences. <laughs> so any predictions for the, this, this next episode? I'm, well, I gave my prediction, which was we saw that photo. So I think she's going to, which we all were talking about how amazing it would be, is to see what happened to her family that explains kind of the origin of the bangle, but also her powers right. and the intergenerational trauma is what I expect to see in the next episode. I I have a funny feeling that they keep bringing up how her grandmother found her um, great-grandfather again, being she followed um, stars back to him. And I have a funny feeling... And Emilia, you you might you might uh, be able to sign on to this one. I have a funny feeling it's gonna be like that scene in Harry Potter where um, the Dementors are going after uh, Harry and Sirius. Yeah, and and the, Harry's seeing moving. it from the other side of the lake, and he keeps waiting for uh, oh yes for uh, his dad to show up and cast his Patronus, uh. and it never happens. So he has I'm to not do gonna it. Go and- and watch that a, one again. Oh, I, have a a funny feeling Kamala, I have a funny feeling Kamala is going to be the one who puts the stars back to her. I've, her I'm with you on that. I think her, that's her cool. Like that. Yeah. So I was that's thinking my prediction. The, the hardened light like steps she makes, they look like stars like from a distance, especially. Sure. That's, that's what, that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. That's what. Okay. Like nice. That. I'm with you on that. I think that's a good prediction. Um, I think Kamran's going to continue to be a good guy. And at the end, I don't know that he and Kamala are going to, like, you know, get together necessarily, but I think that he and Bruno, at least, are going to become tentative allies. <laughs> yes, I I think there's going to be a um, reluctant al- alliance there. Um, Bridget already spoiled this on the last podcast, so I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. go ahead. In the comic books, uh, he does turn into a bad guy. And this might be one of those um, Spider-Man, um, Harry, and and Peter thing where at the end, Kamran, something happens to Kamran's mom, and all of a sudden he and He's Kamala gonna turn are, against her. Yeah, I can, I can see, see that, that happening, happening, but I a bit of don't think it's gonna. There. Although I guess I don't know if there's gonna be a season two. I think yeah, I think th- well, we do know that she will be back in uh, the Marvels, mm-hmm. the movie. So. I just don't know that I see that happening in two episodes. It feels a little fast, but no, this would be at the very, very end. This would. 
I mean, do we see also what's happening though with what Marvel's doing, which I have so much respect for? Is there taking their time to like they did with the movies originally, which is like flushing out the origin story of these characters. And then when you get them into these like mix of all the characters together, you feel for them because you know their story. And like, anyway, so I, I I just really applaud Marvel for doing this where they take the time to create these characters properly. So you're invested in them and then weave their stories together. And then, you know, you have a, a reason to come and show up for every Marvel movie. Yeah. I'm having I'm having a good time. It's nice to be in the in the fold for phase four. I, I don't yeah. envy anyone who's a newcomer. Yeah, agreed. Well, I mean, if you feel lost, feel free to hit me up on Twitter and I I will try and help anybody I can. Always here for everyone. Yes, yeah, so if you feel lost, talk to Norm. Yes, we are your guides, but especially Norm. Really Norm. I will guide you to Norm. any other marvelous thoughts that's it for now Ah. (laughs) all right class grab your seats and put your communicators on silent we're about to begin i'm admiral longacre and welcome to the versus star trek academy our one-on-one coverage of strange new worlds and beyond hello it's the admiral I'm here, and my communicator is on silent. I watched both episodes of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and I brought you an apple. Hello, number one. Uh, hi, the Admiral. Um, you know, you really need to meet my friend Lucas. I think you'd like him. He is a really big Star Trek fan. Uh, yes, thank you, number one. Let's just uh, get on with the segment, shall we? So, Strange New Worlds. We get two, uh, two episodes that, that we're discussing. The Elysian Kingdom... Uh, which finally we get a focus on Dr. Mabanga, who is one of my favorites. I don't know about the rest of the class. Um, But we get his story that we've been teased throughout a few of the episodes of his daughter, who's sick. Um, And then we get a super throwback to Star Trek of the original series, where we shift into a fantasy world uh, that all the different characters are you know, my, their minds are wiped and they believe they're participating in this story that uh, Dr. Mabenga was reading to his daughter at the beginning of the episode. Uh, and then they have to kind of follow the path of the story to figure out what has overtaken the ship. So what is everybody's thoughts on this episode? Uh, this was this was fun. It makes me a little envious of the cast because I'm like, if you could choose to be on any show, like this would be such a fun creative exercise and it's not every kind of show that gets to do something like this like sure there's any good show will have like a decent amount of range but this is just like they'll you know they'll write in such hilarious creative things where like everyone is basically being asked to portray a completely new character that's in some cases the opposite of their (laughs) of their real personalities yeah and they seemed like they were having fun. Like, I know they're acting and all, and so they're supposed to only seem like how their characters feel, but they, they still seem like they're having fun. Yeah, it, this is interesting because I, I remember in the old, um, in, in the original uh, show, that they would do this a lot with the different world settings, and mm-hmm. it would always be something where that would happen. But in um, The Next Generation... It always seemed to revolve around the holodeck. Yes. Um, so th- this is like this is something that's very classical to 
um, Star Trek, and it was, it was really fun to see. Uh, I mean, I I always enjoy seeing a uh, um, this weird kind of episode where everyone has to act out of character. Yeah, I mean, this that's what I meant. It's such a throwback to the original series as well as, you're right, and, and Next Generation, they and even uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, they would do these, which are, tended to revolve around the holodeck. But in the original series, they'd often come across, like, planets that only had, like, transmissions from Earth, so they based their whole, you know, their whole, um, you know, cultural, political system around gangsters, like gangster movies or something. And part of that was that the fact that Star Trek... You know, even though they had a pretty decent budget, they kept getting slashed every season so that, like, they were like, all right, the set next door is like a gangster set, so we'll just write a cool kind of morality play around that. But uh, you're, you touched on to, Emily, one of the reasons I've just always been in love with Star Trek is you don't know what you're going to get week to week. They can completely shift the, you know, the, the, uh, the genre. They can shift everything around, and all of a sudden the actors have to play to it. Um, so you get a huge range and it's like, can be super surprising and fun to go on these little adventurous, you know, uh, left turns every now and again. Uh, and I, I did really appreciated this one for that. I, I have to admit, I was lulled into a little sense of security with it where I was like, oh, this is one of those lighthearted episodes. So I kind of was just enjoying the, 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 the silliness of it. And by the way, Captain Pike, the actor Anson Mount got even higher in my esteem because a lot of actors, when they want to be the captain, they want to project strength and you know you know like gravitas and he got to be so silly and goofy and like a wimp um brave sir robin brave sir robin ran away (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking of yeah it was amazing and the fact that he was like as an actor wanted to do that i just is 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 a testament to him and also made the episode even more you know fun to watch but then you get hit with this emotional sledgehammer which they'd spent a few episodes you know teasing up then all of a sudden we get dr mabenga having to essentially you know he saved his daughter by letting her go which was a really powerful and i have to admit i was like tearing up watching it i came out of nowhere i didn't even think i was even that invested in the episode emotionally that Again, um, talking about it from now the opposite side of being the parent now is like it was. I was. I'm not afraid to say I was crying. I really was. I felt for the man. I knew, like, yeah, she was going to be alive and she was going to be out there, but you weren't going to be with her. You weren't going to see her grow. Oh my! Did my yeah, heart ache? Tearjerker, man. man. Yeah, that's a strong thing to do, right? You have to say, I have to allow you to go and be on your own, even though I'll never get to appreciate that. But it's best for you. Yeah, it's a really hard and, and kind of like, like I said, did not see it coming. Like I, no. I, In fact, I thought this storyline was not going to get resolved this season. I thought this was going to be like one of his main things we're going to keep coming back to, which I have to admit probably would have worn its welcome out if they, you know, yeah. if they didn't. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was a very clever way to wrap this up. Granted, they only have 10 episodes a season. So in some ways we were spoiled with previous Star Trek because they would have like 26 episodes or yes. whatever. <clears throat> so, you know, but at the same time, they they did this storyline justice. And that's what made me happy about that. I mean, it's again, just like the the parallels that you can draw to Doctor Who are really there. Because again, it's like you don't know where you're going to get week to week. Sometimes it's monster mm-hmm. of the week. Sometimes it's time period of the week, you know, or it's a mix of all those things. And uh, sometimes the stories are really like they're imaginative, but they're like deceptively simple. And so you're not prepared for like, however it's going to end, even though you have watched Doctor Who forever and you know that it carries emotional weight and they're not afraid to like go into, into darker themes. And like here I was again, lulled into that 
sense of complacency and because mm-hmm. there's like there like like a lot of doctor who episodes too there's such an obvious way for the story to have a happy ending that would make sense and still feel really satisfying and i think that that's this it's the same case for the next episode we're going to talk about too mm-hmm. but this is not like this is not that show like this is not an easy show this is a really this is a more complex one that uh is really devoted to like I guess the original purpose of Star Trek, which was to be like morality plays. and mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. So just a little backstory on that. So Gene Roddenberry, you know, he wrote, I think I've touched on this previously, but he, his first show that he, he produced was and created was called the Lieutenant. And in that he was trying to like talk about, you know, the military and cops and racism. And he was doing all these heavy handed stories in this drama. And he is, it got canceled because of that. Cause the networks are too like scared of it. Uh, it was just too much. And they were like, he was crossing over the line. And he realized, wait, if I just position this in the future in sci-fi, I can tell all these stories and they'll be like, I can get them under the radar of the censors. So like this, you know, it, and it worked. I mean, it was like not only a culturally huge, uh, you know, show, but also he was able to tell the stories that he felt like society needed to hear, that we need to be talking about. And I, I feel like they're, it, it's funny because anybody who says like Star Trek is woke now, it's like the purpose of Star <laughs> Trek was to be aware of these issues and to talk about them. My God, it, it's crazy to me that people it, they essentially don't understand the purpose of Star Trek, which by the way, so I, I had the pleasure to speaking with, with Dr. Mabanga, the, the actor who plays him, Babs Olusanmokin. I interviewed him and we talked about this episode in particular and his approach to the character and the backstory. Uh, and he really you know, went into what it's like kind of being a part of the Star Trek community. And what we talked about is how, like, you can't, you you can't devalue what it means to be a part of this community that really cares a lot about the content. And they'll go to bat for it because they, you know, they care about these higher ideals. And so to be embraced by that and be a part of that is like a really fulfilling thing for him. So I definitely recommend checking that interview out on Awards Radar. Um, And maybe I'll be able to, you know, beam in a few clips of that uh, sometime soon. Yeah, you know, the people that don't understand Star Trek are the same people who look at a lot of the shows and the movies and the the media that they consumed as children, and they look back and and they don't see that they were already telling these stories that were very progressive. Mm -hmm. Because in retrospect, I guess they don't seem quite as um, progressive. Like groundbreaking, right? Yeah, I I guess not anymore, but like... You know, I again, I I always go back to the next generation because that's that's the one that I grew up with, and then watched the older ones afterwards. And even now, a lot of those episodes, you go back and you really watch, and you're like, this is still like a little bit groundbreaking. And they mm-hmm. did this in the '90s. Wow. So, yeah, go back and watch the Twilight Zone, and like no, those ones same, in the yeah. '50s and '60s are like, you know, man, those are still powerful and, know, to this day. And now to see. Star Trek returned to this and to this formula because not that they weren't doing it with Discovery or any of the other shows as much. It just feels like this feel this feels more classic to what it was. And I know we said that might be the whole um, episodic versus serialized. Uh, I think that's approach. a big part of it. Yeah. But at the same time, I I don't know if that's part of it. I feel like they're really leaning back into the hey, here's the question, here's mm-hmm. the moral question. We're not going to answer, but we're going to explore it, and we're going to make you think which side is you would be on, and then feel mm-hmm. that way. And I think a lot of people were reacting to that, going like, "Oh, I, 
go at the beginning of this, I, I saw it as me being on this side. But now at the end of this, I'm seeing it like maybe I want to be on this side, but that means I'm wrong. Therefore, I have to deny that I would be wrong. I mean, yeah. maybe in a way it's much more radical now because of the way that the dialogue has progressed or regressed, <laughs> some might say. <laughs> yeah, I think regressed is accurate. <laughs> that like that kind of thinking in Shades of Grey is so much more difficult, so much more painful. You have people flocking to... Uh, you know, the ends of the spectrum rather than... Yeah. And, well, and also middle. cynical stuff. I think it's really powerful to say, no, we're going to have something that's also hopeful, that has, you know, the world will be better, we will be better, right? Like, that to me, that's... Because of how bad things feel right now in the world, like, I have to admit, Star Trek is my comfort food. Like, for me, I always go back to Star Trek, whether it's the earlier episodes, whether it's, you know, Next Generation, like, similar norm. Yeah. That was mine. As That was the first one that was mine. Like, original series was my dad's, and I had that with him. But Next Generation, Next Generation was mine. So I can always go back and revisit those because it's truly humans trying to be better, like, trying to learn more and discover more. And it's like, I, and right now, with how dark things feel right now in America, I'm like especially Strange New Worlds, like a new version of Star Trek that has that hopefulness is just, it's just the juice I need right now. Like it's definitely hitting it for me. Um, I, I have a, a really amazing uh, Easter egg from this episode that I did not, I have to admit, I did not catch it the first time watching it. I'm going to blame watching it on my iPad. But the book that uh, Dr. Mabang is reading his daughter, The Kingdom of Elysium, the author in it is this fictional writer, Benny Russell. Do you, so do you know what that is, Norm? So, did you watch Deep Space Nine? Yes. I'm trying. Okay. I'm... One of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine, which may be one of the best episodes of the entire Star Trek library. Um, and I highly recommend you watch this one, uh, Emilia. Uh, it's called Far Beyond the Stars. And what happens is it's it's Avery Brooks plays an author named Benny Russell who's growing up in like the – or is in the 50s who's trying to publish a sci-fi story about a black captain of a spaceship. And, of course, he gets, like, they, nobody will publish it. He essentially gets attacked by the cops. It's like, it, it, his, essentially, his career in life is ruined because of white supremacy. And it's like, the whole idea is that maybe this whole Star Trek thing came from his mind, springs from his mind. Well, anyway, the writer of this book in it is, is, they, they, is Benny Russell. And the fact they gave a little callback to that episode is just so beautiful. And it's just like the author name on the book. You, you have to, right, you know, yeah. squint to catch it. Um, but again, this is the idea of what we're talking about. Like, why do we create these things and wh why does Star Trek exist? Um, so I highly recommend for homework, go and watch that episode. Uh, I will have to rewatch that episode. I do remember that episode and remember loving it. You know, the, the moral gray question here for me was, could you let your child go knowing you're not going to see them and all that and you know, I'm sure some people will be like, well, what about uh, – I always hate that you have this choice or this choice. Well, I would lobby for this other choice. It's like, well, that's not what's being presented. And the yeah. obvious lobby here would have been, wait, why can't I go with you? Why can't it be me and her who go instead of just mm -hmm. her? And it just – people want to circumvent the, the question of what – what there has to do. And I do understand the exercise of, well, you should try all you can to, for the ones you love. I really do understand that. But the, the, him having to let her go was, was hard for me to watch because of the obvious reasons. But then, and, and I was, I was already like tearing up, but when she came back, 
and she was older. I could not stop crying because <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like, it was beautiful. It was sad. It was uplifting. It was so many emotions at once. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a great episode. That's like it's like a tortured kind of choice because it's essentially like she is dying in a way. Either way, she's either yeah. she's either dying to you, like mm-hmm. uh, dead to you because you don't get to see her anymore. Um, but she does like live on, or she's mm-hmm. just like doomed essentially like in 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 every sense and when you put it that way it's like an obvious choice but it's not painful but obvious yeah 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 it's Uh, beautiful i mean the truly that's it's that kind of nuance that we're talking about is what makes it compelling yeah all right so any other questions or concerns or comments before we move on to the next episode <clears throat> I have a kind of general question that's not necessarily about the episode, but like Star Trek fandom in general. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I have a sense of what the Star Wars fandom is like on average, mm-hmm. on average, we'll say, because yeah. it's a lot of people. <laughs> but, like, the Star Trek fandom on average, I'm sure, has its quibbles and they do whatever, but like, especially with New Trek. So, is there like a character to it? <laughs> Well, so the funny thing is, like, the original Star Trek fans, the Trekkies, um, that can be a name embraced or reviled by the fandom, um, they're the reason why Star Trek was saved. So this is what's so crazy. They're, like, kind of the original fan base. Like, before Star Wars, before any of this, there were Trekkies. I mean, granted, listen, there were Sherlock Holmes fans and things. Like, if you go back long enough, there was always, like, you know, super fans of a series. But because of television and the modern, you know, Modern viewing. Um, so what happened was Star Trek was uh, very expensive to produce the first season, um, and uh, and it was like beloved by like a cult following, but it was not getting good ratings. So like the first season, the second season, it was really struggling, but it had such a diehard fan of, of, of Trekkies that would like started conventions on their own. Like all these things that we now are just normal pop culture kind of sprang from Star Trek. Like Star Trek conventions happened before any other conventions. Like, that was the beginning. Um, And then Comic-Cons and stuff sprang from that. But, like, Star Trek fans created that originally. So what they did is, though, they petitioned the network. They were going to cancel it after two seasons. And, and in fact, uh, Lucy, I Love Lucy, uh, her studio, Lucille Ball, her studio produced it but then had to sell the rights because they couldn't afford it anymore. They were going out of business. And so they were going to cancel it. And then because of the the fan base – did a letter writing campaign. Hundreds of thousands of people wrote in to say like, you do not cancel this because if they got three seasons, they would get syndication. And if you get syndication, it means that you get to again played afterwards and afterwards. And then they will save the tapes because if you don't get syndication, they'll just throw that stuff out. Like, so by getting syndication, it is the reason we have star Trek today is because of the fans back in the day did a letter writing campaign uh, and convinced them. And so like, that's the fan base of Star Trek that I love. The passionate yeah. people who just who like will go to bat for it. And granted, there's a lot of there's been a lot of fractions and divisions over the years, especially because every new iteration of Star Trek is the worst Star Trek ever. Until fast forward until a few years, one. and then people like similar to Star Wars, like then yeah. the people who either you know come around and realize, oh, it's just different than what I liked, uh, or you have people who discover it or are young when they, they come across it. And then that's their Star Trek, like us with Next Generation. Um, so there are some divisions, but I got to tell you, 
New Trek is the first time I've seen Star Trek fans actually be kind of mean to each other. Like people yes, will yes. bitch and moan all the time, but like there's this huge like stark divide between people who are like, like New Trek and people who don't, and like you can almost never get them to meet. It's weird. Yeah. Like I'm on the Star Trek um, Discord channel, which I highly recommend everybody go on, and I have a great time in there. People are usually really respectful and nice, but like there's this weird fracture that happened with New Trek that is like really caused you know a disturbance in the force, if you will, <laughs> uh, and I'm curious to see how it resolves itself. The the uh... What I've seen from Star Trek fans have always been that they're gatekeepers, but not in in the way that you would look at and be like, well, that's a, to- a toxic form of gatekeeping. Their gatekeeping isn't, you don't belong here, it's, I just know more than you. Yes. And that, that's like what it always seems like <laughs> from them. So it comes off as being like really pompous and arrogant, but for some reason it also comes off as being like, they're not being mean to other people. They're just saying, I am a bigger fan. Yeah, and there's something about, what does that mean? The ideals of Star Trek, which is like inclusiveness, uh, you know, and variation and inclusiveness and openness and discovery is baked into the community. Like, that's why we like it. And yeah. that's why it's like everyone's welcome. There there's truly is, I think, one of the, the least toxic fan bases for that reason. I uh, And that's agree. why I think, the, I think, Norm, you totally put your finger on it. It's like p- the people that... S- are more like smug elites, um, more so than just like vicious trolls. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. I guess that's the best you can hope for, really. I, I think. Listen, I'm a pretty smug elite, and I'm I'm nice. The thing is, like, I will probably bore people with my in-depth knowledge of certain things, but you know, yeah, I will gladly talk about Star Trek any day of the week. So you know, because I'm like somewhat, or have somewhat in in life been in the. Uh, in the fandom for like Doctor Who, for example, where I feel like people aren't so toxic because I feel like that is that's one of those fandoms that feels like a real home for a lot of people mm-hmm. who feel marginalized by society. Right. Yeah. A lot of queer people. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, no, there's um, there's definitely a parallel between Whovians and Trekkies. There really yeah. is. And the worst thing I can say about those fandoms is that maybe they're like a little parasocial relationshipy. Maybe they're a little cringe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's uh... there's crossover there. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing with Spock and Data. And like there's always mm-hmm. a character that's like struggling with emotion and a communication. And I swear to God, there's a lot of kids who are who grew up th- that were autistic that felt really compelled to 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 see themselves finally they're like i see myself portrayed on screen where i don't understand human emotions well or interactions so to see a character struggle with that is like really affirming uh and mm-hmm. i feel like star trek does that all the time it's like a very welcoming place for us oddballs and weirdos who didn't feel like we fit in anywhere it's not it's not only that though it's also the, there is so much representation star yeah. star trek because they don't paint the characters one dimensionally they might start yeah. off one-dimensional, and I, I will get into this in this next episode. The, the character might come off as one-dimensional, but by the end of their run in the show, you're like, wow, that character really grew and was dynamic. Well, let's do it. Let's, let's jump into All Those Who Wander, which, is, or you can say like the alien episode of, um, yes. <laughs> all those, uh, of Star Trek, or, or you could say, what's another one? Because Alien, and there's also, um, what other sci-fi horror film? 
Oh, this... I felt like they were. Oh, it had, had a little bit of um, like Predator too, with like. Oh the, yes, yes, the it did. Uh, okay, the, yeah. The with the with the different like the the alien UV view of or something yeah the like UV that. yeah uh, UV. So, uh, so yeah, so what happens on this episode is that uh, the Enterprise is responding. The missing There's ship. There's like a, a SOS call that comes out or something, mm-hmm. and so they distress they go call. to, yeah, a distress call, and they go to um, investigate. So they send a landing party down, um, and it turns out that our our evil, uh, you know, nemesis from the previous episode, the Gorn, uh, have completely destroyed like everybody on this base except for a, a little girl and her protector alien. Uh, which totally had shades of nude from aliens, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then they start having to do battle and you know and 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 survive uh, coming face to face with these little Gorn aliens that in, you know get inside the, their body like eggs and I'm hatch say, out. The 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 tie in to Alien on this, uh, the whole Ridley Scott and all yeah. that uh, was heavy, especially with the chest bursters. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, which I did not expect them to get so kind of brutal with this episode. Me either. Uh, we get to see Spock get some, you know, Hulk rage going on, which was awesome. Uh, I, I love the whole thing with Spock is he's like, I'm, I do not show emotion. Then almost every episode he has to show emotion. It's kind of like his tell. I love it. Um, but then we, you know, we get to see a few red shirts get offed, which ha- they haven't done too much. We get introduced to this Lieutenant Duke um, uh, played by Teddy Kellogg. Who's like finally gets his his uh, his uh, promotion or whatever that he gets like oh. quickly. Oh, that guy! I what? love the thing with the best lines is a new drink, a few humans and your drinking games. <laughs> How many are there? They seem to be limitless or endless. One yeah. of the two. Um, wait, uh, really quickly, was was he a red shirt? I thought he was wearing gold. He was actually wearing gold. I guess he the only true red shirt that dies in this hey. is. Big spoiler. We'll get to it in a second, but um, yeah, but you know, redshirt being the term that just the the poor bastard who you know is just not going to survive <laughs> through the episode. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, he gets dragged off and you know, and eggs laid in him by the uh, the Gorn. So, but yeah, it's really like kind of dark and uh, it's literally shot dark, like as opposed to many of the other episodes, it's like lit like a horror film. So, one of the first things I noticed when since the previous episode hit you out of nowhere with something heavy. Um, Mm -hmm. I've figured this one was going to be, you know, the rubber band episode where it's like, oh, hey, we're going to go light. And the very first thing that happens is another captain's table. um, Let's send off our our interns, basically, uh, Mm -hmm. meal. And it was really lighthearted, and I thought it was good. And um, we get to see a little bit of my favorite character, Ortega, come back and, and, and be charming i find her very charming oh yeah um to uh ahora who is about to leave enterprise yeah she's she essentially has done every position as we talked about previously like when you're a cadet you get to like try out whether engineering or security or science officer so she finally tried them all and is like gonna leave and actually like leave starfleet even though she was given this amazing opportunity um and then of course at by the end we assume she's going to listen take the words of um so of hammer so so that was the funny thing i i uh was watching this and uh, knowing what i know already and about a horror Mm -hmm. i'm like well obviously she's gonna stick around she's in the she's and then (laughs) we're going through and all of a sudden like they're like oh um it's just a simple uh retrieval mission i'll take i'll take the uh the cadets with me and 
and uh, give them one last send off. And the minute he said that, I was like, Oh no. Huh. <laughs> warning, warning. <laughs> and then danger. You know, well, Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the guy gets promoted. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have one of these episodes. Yep. Yeah. But I was not expecting them to go so dark and, and horror. It's basically yeah. one step from suspense horror. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I really appreciated, like, Hemmer has been one of my favorite characters so far in Stranger Worlds. So the last thing I expected them to do was to kill off a main character. And in fact, I'm a little, like, surly about it. I'm a little annoyed because I'm like, I wanted more of him. And yes. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it's guaranteed we're not going to see him again because, but he, it's Star Trek. he had a pretty brutal ending. You see him, like, fall off the... Shit, he falls pretty far, and he definitely had some eggs hatching in him. So the odds of us seeing him again are small, but you never know. It's, it's, it's I, sp- I was not seeing it coming, and show. it was yeah. um, call out to Bruce. Bruce Horak. Horak, thank you. Anyways, uh, Bruce Horak did an amazing job in this episode. Um, we, we got to see uh, Babs in the last episode really mm-hmm. go Get into deliver, it. Yeah. Bruce did amazing in this one. He the moments with him and Ohora in engineering was were beautiful, and then you know the very very end where he has to have his own send off was great. And yeah. I I love that his last line was about his home planet and how it mm-hmm. remind how he felt like he was at home. Just beautiful. Yeah, me and Laan Noonien Singh or Christina Chong who plays her got to really again have like a episode that at least gives her some you know, activity and stuff to do, which is cool to see too. Which which is what I was saying uh, earlier was, you know, you get introduced to a character and you're like, okay, this character might be one dimensional, but you know, it's not, it's not even the end of her character journey that we know for sure. Yeah. But we saw her grow. And even in this yeah. episode, you see her take a step where it's like, mm-hmm. Oh wow. You know, Captain Pike is right. I, this is something, this is a shared trauma that only I can, I can relate with. Yeah, and I love it too, where she like essentially has to risk her life and then hide in the, you know, in the capsule as the as the aliens trying to like dig into it. It's very tense. Yes. Uh, and then so we didn't get a lot of Ortega uh, Ortegas during the episode, but she does bookend it where she does get to deliver the eulogy at the end, which was really moving and nice. I'm glad they gave her gave her that. And then we also get Spock, who now that he unleashed his emotions, you know, to help save the crew, his anger, his rage. Uh, they have that little moment between um, Nurse Chapel and him, uh, which, by the way, is a total throwback to their relationship in uh, the original series because he, she, he was always, like, freaking out and she was always, like, trying to help him. <laughs> anyway. I yeah, can't put so, it back in. No, nope, can't bottle it back up. <laughs> Pandora's box is opened. Mm-hmm. This really also continue to demonstrate, like, it, the, this is, like, so useful in a way for the show because they they can continue to return to the Gorn Um, Mm -hmm. because even though they've been introduced as like this this trap card really fearsome um, horrifically bad like essentially just almost uh, unreal threat Um, Mm -hmm. but like if you actually they, they didn't even appear on screen the last time we heard about them and this time like they did put them on screen, so you'd think like, oh, well, now that they've been put on screen, you know, it's only a matter of time before they get one-upped by some other threat, or it's like really easy then for them to just fall into the the hierarchy of, of uh, powerful threats. But they really kept up the whole, 
like, no, this is still almost as like unthinkably mm-hmm. dangerous as it, as it can be because they're only dealing with like literally newly hatched Gorn babies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and three of them. <laughs> yeah. So Admiral, um, this kind yes. of, in a way, uh, mirrors what um, Next Generation did with the Borg. Because the Borg I were could, the bigger... I was going to bring that up, okay. number one. Thank you. Because uh, you're talking about the hierarchy so of threats. another way of saying the... Gorn. No. Well, <laughs> the Borg, not. oh. I mean, Definitely the Borg... Not. So the Next Generation, where it really hit its stride, is because they uh, introduced probably one of the most terrifying villains ever in Star Trek and in many science fiction shows, which is, you know, uh, a group of cybernetic creatures that essentially want to assimilate everybody so they just want to conquer you and make them part of you so you lose all your individuality like the cyber and you become part of the collective yes is it yeah <laughs> yes no, so no then, yes but so then you lose all your mind so your mind melds with everybody else and then you have no individuality and you're just an, a drone an, an autonomous creature that's like you know like an ant in a colony and so this idea of this unstoppable force that's inhuman it's like it's not a it, it's as far away as you could get from like a human individual perspective uh, and there's something that's really terrifying about that. And uh, but eventually became super weak and annoying and essentially overused to the point where like the Borg are now like don't even feel like a threat much anymore. Granted, they also had some really like every uh, every version of Star Trek, whether it was, you know, Voyager had some wonderful Borg episodes. Next Generation had a lot of great ones. Even Picard brought the Borg back in a very interesting way. But at the same time, it's like that threat's gone now. So I'm curious to see if they're going to do something similar with the Gorn. Or I do have a prediction that um, the Gorn in the original one with um, in original series with um, uh, Kirk, uh, what is it? Uh, With Kirk, um, the Gorn were attacking anybody who came into their space. So it turns out like they might be actually very territorial. And what we think is, is them being outwardly violent is them just potentially protecting their space, protecting their home, um, which I think might end up being what it is, is they're not going to be as vicious and relentless. They might actually just be acting out of, of fear. Yeah. I, I have a funny feeling they're going to treat the Gorn a lot like they did with the <laughs> Borg, where they bring, they brought the Borg in early to tease mm-hmm. them and then like held them around like off for a little bit. Being like, well, they're still far away. Mm-hmm. And there's still a threat. So I, I have a funny feeling they're going to do that with the Gorn here. And it's going to be more like, hey, the Gorn exists. We know they exist. They can come back at mm-hmm. any moment. But we're going to give you this false sense of security. Like, oh, we haven't seen them in a, ah, yeah. no. I got Gorn babies at my neck. Yeah. It's like how um, every time they defeat all of the Daleks, heavy quotation marks. <laughs> there's always that one. They never quite get them all. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that is the episode. We have one left, the final episode coming up next week. Uh, So we'll definitely be in to not only discuss that episode, but then do kind of a final grade. We'll we'll have a final test for everybody uh, to see if you pass and become a cadet. Um, Well, everybody being Emilia and Bridget, since Norm's already our number one here. Uh, Bridget missed class today. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're going to have to, we're going to have to beam Bridget her assignment. Um, uh, I will send a subspace uh, message. Wonderful. And then finally, before we uh, end this episode, was there any questions about, you know, any other questions about the episode, the characters, you know, Hemmer being an Andorian? Do you have any questions about that? Since I thought we'd actually get into it when we had an episode focused on him, but now he's gone. So that's not going to happen. He's like peaceful, right? They're peaceful creatures. 
No. So no. he is, but the Andorians uh, are very actual, like, militaristic in episodes oh. of Star Trek and very, like, quick to anger and violence. Um, but they're from, like, an ice planet, which is why they're blue and they have those little antenna. Uh, but the Andorians, are, you know, have been since the original series. Uh, they've been, like, a staple of Star Trek. And, in fact, um, Enterprise has some of the best uh, episodes of the Andorians as they're battling uh, the Vulcans. So they're, like, in space next to Vulcans. Uh, the Vulcan Empire. So they're, um, they kind of have a lot of wars and, and turf between them. And Jeffrey Combs, who is probably one of the best uh, recurring Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare recurring uh, Star Trek actors, um, gets to play an Andorian in Enterprise, and he is amazing. He is so fun. Uh, so I would highly recommend if you want to like learn more about the Andorians, I can send you some ep- original series episodes that features them as well as some of the Enterprise ones where you get Jeffrey Combs as an Andorian. Wait, but didn't Hammer like when we, when Ahara was first working with him, didn't he have something about how like, like it's unusual that he was serving on Starfleet because he wasn't serving. It is yes the, the uh, his uh, military like. Oh, I got some. I don't know. I got this impression that he was like a pacifist. He is. He is. He is. He is. Okay. And, there's, and it turns out it gets a little more complicated because I think I remember, and I, I'd have to look it up and read it, but there's like a, a few different like um, cultures of Andorians. They kind of split where some might have been more like the pacifists and some might have been more of like the war, the warlike ones. So they've been in four episodes of the original series, um, uh, which I will send you over the, um, you know, the information on that to your tricorders. Um, uh, let's see. So Andoria is an icy moon orbiting a ring gas giant. Um, oh, Andor, which, by the way, they stole for, uh, for, for uh, <laughs> Star, Star Wars. Wars. I didn't realize that. Um, they have telepathic abilities, as, we, as we've seen, uh, and they either have light blue or white skin. So they don't all have blue skin like that. Um, but they all still come very close <laughs> to looking like white walkers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That's really more on Game of Thrones than anyone else. <laughs> so anyway, that's the the the, char- the characters of the Andorians, and um, yeah, the, I guess an episode Journey to Babel, which I'll have to rewatch. Um, now that in in honor of Hemmer's demise, I'm going to go back and rewatch all the episodes that have Andorians in them. Oh, and in Lower Decks, that's right. There's a an Andorian in the Lower Decks episodes. Right. Serving on, yes. So. Yeah, I got to catch up on Lower Decks, too. God, there's just so much to watch, so much to do. So, Admiral, do you want to put, place bets on whether or not this uh, season finale episode will ha- deal with Spock and his uh, his newfound rage? I think it'll be his newfound rage. I'm really hoping they tease his brother again, um, his half-brother, uh, who we <laughs> met. He's got half his name, of... Cybok. <laughs> Cybok, yeah. I'm hoping we get a little bit more of him as well. Um but, you know, I have a feeling, though, that might have been just a tease for next season uh, when they're going to have him. So, yeah, I, I, I'm placing bets. Yeah, I definitely think we're going to see the close, the closing of this uh, emotional outburst that Spock has is probably going to play into this next his character arc for the next episode. Uh, and I'm curious who they're going to focus on. This final one might be just uh, like the entire crew, similar to Memento Mori, which was my favorite so far. So I'm really hoping we get more of Ortegas. I hope we more get more Ortegas. of just pretty much everyone. More Ortegas. <laughs> yeah. More Ortegas. So, yeah. I But I'm really have my – I have high hopes for this finale, and I hope 
I hope it's not a cliffhanger is all I'll say because they so far they've done a really good job of not playing into the uh, episodic tropes. Yeah. So if um, serialized or uh, you know serialized is what we want. Yeah. So serialized is what I'm hoping they do for this one where it's like a nice fitting ending, letting us know there'll be a next season, but it kind of wraps up the season. If they if they end on a cliffhanger, I think I'm going to be a little disappointed. Well, looking forward to that. Remember to tune in for our big The Versus Star Trek 101 Academy wrap-up. We will have a test. We will discuss our newbies' take on the franchise and have a moving-up ceremony and other fun Star Trek-related activities. And since you've been such a great class, here are some select moments from my interview with Babs. Uh, Dr. Mabanga. Yes. So how did it feel like getting the call that uh, you got the part? Was it like uh, a long time between when you auditioned and when you got it? It feels like it was shorter than I think it was mm-hmm. uh, because, again, I wasn't hyper-focused on it. Like, I, 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 I thought of it, and I'm like, oh, man, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I felt good about it. And I, I would say it took a month and a half to two months. Mm-hmm. You know, between that and then they do, like, a whole, you know, then it got to the point where I had to, like, you know, uh, retape the scenes, mm-hmm. you know, because now they were going to give it to more people and, you know what I mean? Like oh, he's yeah. going to go through the gauntlet again, and yeah, the studios, and, uh, the you know, yeah, exactly. the producers, the, it goes exactly. The circuit, yeah, exactly. The, the unnamed ones, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, behind so the curtain, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was really, so that was wonderful, you know, to do that again. I just did not mind tackling the work over and mm-hmm. over again, and and that really, I think, served me well, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and then they. You know, they called and it's like, you know, my agent called and yeah, I was sitting in London and I was like, really? Great. (laughs) You know, like, let's, you know, it was, it was, I mean, yeah, I was quite thrilled. I was quite thrilled because it's, it's Star Trek. It's not, you know, there's nobody that I can say that to that no matter how jaded you are and no matter, you know, Mm-hmm. It meant something to all of us in one way. If it didn't mean something to you, it meant something to your dad or your uncle or your aunt or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, yeah. cousin, like it, it's, it's, it's something. So, um, yeah. So it, it was a really, it took a bit of time for it to land more on me and, you know. Well, I'm sure it's, you're to... still processing some of those. Absolutely. Yeah. All of us, all of us. I, I, I'm still processing. We could be on set. And another actor, one of my castmates would be like, oh my God, I can't believe we're doing this. You know, like really, like really, we'll be in the chairs waiting for the next scene and, you know, somebody will bump the other and like, what the, you know? And so, so that's been really, I, I don't think it's, uh, you're not, uh, I don't think it's, it's, I don't think that feeling will ever go away. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that feeling will ever go away because it just demands that of you, the community, the people that appreciate it, that truly, truly appreciate it. You know, um, you have to, you know, serve them also. Mm-hmm. It's not that kind of, uh, yeah, uh, job that you do and throw away in any kind of way, you know. Oh, yeah. You have to give it your all. So, How has that been, though, the fan reaction? I, I imagine this is something you've never really had to deal with before. What's it like being kind of in the in the maelstrom? it's it's you know i've not gone out to meet people but it's uh i see the unrush of it you know Mm -hmm. i see the and it's it's i think it's a beautiful thing i think it's a beautiful thing i think uh, star trek fans are mostly 
people that actually, they're not looking to tear it down. They're not looking to tear others down, you know? I mean, they demand something of, of the show, of the producers and, you know, but they're not coming from a place of trying to belittle or be above what the piece is. If the piece speaks to them, they will embrace it fully. And, you know, and I see that. I, I see it's, you know, it seems like people are like, oh man, this gives me, you know, mm-hmm. I have a dear friend, you know, uh, who's older than I, who, mm-hmm. you know, calls and like, man, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying it. And he's one of the most cynical people I know, you know, <laughs> in like a real, like a super, super cynical New Yorker dude. And I was going to say, yeah. You know, like he can't stop yeah. calling me and be like, man, I'm just watching this episode. I'm like, God, I'm like, I'm like beautiful, you know? Yeah, so I think a huge part of that is that it's Star, Star Trek does speak to these higher ideals we're supposed to possess. And so even yes. as like the fans like me, we, you know, we still yes. try to, when we approach uh, the show itself, try to have that, those ideals in mind, which I think is, uh, you know, really powerful for a piece of entertainment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because without that, there's not much more, you know, mm-hmm. without, whether it's Star Trek, whether it's Dune, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, another piece of work that touches us that is in a different genre Mm-hmm. You know, but if it if it grips us, if it speaks to us, if it exposes something in us all, it's it's just that's the work, that's art, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so and ultimately that's what we want to be, you know. We want to be artists, you know, doing it um as beautifully as possible within these parameters that are forced upon us, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, so Dr. Mubanga, like, I think one of the reasons he's so relatable is not just your performance, but he's, so he's on a mission, you know, to just explore the universe, but his, he has, he has a very specific reason, which is to save his daughter. Um, yes. And I just find him so human and relatable for that reason, because not only is he just going on a, a, an exploration, he's also doing it for like a very noble reason. Um, Absolutely. So h- how did you kind of approach playing uh, that character of Mubanga? Well, I mean really just tapping into tapping into love right and the love of of a child and this you know the love of a lot you know the love you have for a, a family member a loved one but in this particular case a child um is that's really grief is not comparable right we can't be comparing grief but that is one of those sacred things like your child is gravely ill your child could leave this world before you that is something none of us want to ever ever want to go through so really this was this was already sort of presented uh, to me uh you know at the meeting we had i had with the producers uh with the showrunners before you know before we started filming and so just started building his emotional life, you know, and his, um, and, um, and that, and the, and the, the battle, the journey of, of having this child, having this family, loving this child and taking care of her and raising her. And all of a sudden before really, as she's still a child, and you now have to start pondering and dealing with um her possible loss or possible death 
Uh, so it was, it was more of an emotional work, you know, uh, dealing, it was more craft than that, creating that and laying down the, the, the soil for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, also keeping him, keeping him brave, keeping him brave, you know, brave enough and desperate enough to bring her mm -hmm. on the ship, you know, and really go against his, you know, his sworn duty, you know? Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the work was to sort of lay the ground for that, for that emotional journey, for that journey of, of doing what I have to do, what he has to do to save this child, the places he will have to travel to, the, the people he will have to negotiate with to discover some new medicine. So really going back, the sides, uh, the first you know, set of sides um, for the audition was him you know, sort of haggling with uh, another individual in terms of getting this, what he thought could be the life-saving medicine, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and he was sort of in the in the outer world, so to speak, and in another place, trying to you know trying to make this deal. And uh, at first, it looks like it's not much. It means not much to him, but really, we find that it's actually very very important. So for me, it's that keeping him keeping him uh, brave, keeping him focused on the goal he needs to achieve, and and making sure the, 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 the vulnerability is there, but of course covered as much as possible. Uh, but that's the chunk of the journey uh, mm -hmm. that I was uh, working to craft for him for this season. Well, I see, I just watched the episode last night in anticipation for this interview of where uh, it's it's the fantastical one where it becomes a storybook of of the daughter's uh, well, oh, episode eight, then? Yeah, Elysium episode, Kingdom. Exactly, oh. Elysium Kingdom. And I'll tell you, I, you know, it was snuck up on me because it's a very silly episode in many ways, such a yeah. throwback to the original Star Trek series where they would have like yeah. these very like uh, plot uh, reasons why they would suddenly be like in another genre yeah. and, this, yeah. and so i didn't set i didn't realize there was this emotional sledgehammer coming by the mm. end and when it got to the end i was like tearing up over the the mm. interaction you had with the daughter it was just a beautiful mm. beautifully done scene uh but that's i guess uh, transitioning into my question which is in in strange new worlds it's like every uh episode can be a different genre completely right yes it can be yes. a an action movie it can be a, a western it can be a, a you know a drama it can be a comedy yes um so is there anything is there any genres you haven't explored that, that you're actually really looking forward to uh you know to to being allowed to play in oh man i feel if i say that then i'm giving stuff oh, too much away. away but there are yeah, yeah. Well, all right let's are. let's reverse it let's say what so yeah. what are the ones you've done so far this first season that have aired that you're allowed to talk about that have been really just a pure joy to try to uh to to, to play on in the in the series well i would i would of course say the elysian kingdom which you just watched uh the elysian kingdom because because uh, it is that it is this fantasy it's the fantasy episode essentially and you know mm -hmm. uh it was as, you know, as heavy as it became uh, at the end for, it was, um, it was really, really fun. It was really like, as an actor, it felt, it felt like it was a chance to sort of just 
spread the wings and explore and sit in moments and just enjoy um, playing this King Ridley, even though, right, I was still Mbenga, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, keeping my wits about me, but I had to sometimes become him to compel the other guys, the other characters who were fully, fully uh, in the mode of the Elysian Kingdom. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that was that was a it was a beautiful thing to play with, and that's one thing uh, I love about the show that we can have, you know, we can be, we can be really silly one moment, and then we can be, you know, mm -hmm. um, we can be adventurous and badass the next moment. Uh, I think it's just it's a wonderful playground to be on. Definitely, and you know, some of these Star Trek shows they'll go for four, five, six, even seven seasons. Are you, you know? Are you in it for the long haul? Is it something you're just excited to be uh, on this potential journey? Absolutely. I, I will be around as long as they'd have me. And, mm -hmm. you know, as you know, and I'm quite sure everybody's invested in keeping it strong and interesting and, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and not just putting something out to put something out. You know, ultimately, we want to do things that we're proud of and that we care about and that others can can connect to so i i think um we'll all have that in mind you know uh we all want to make it meaningful um so yeah as long as we can keep doing that you know why awesome. not you know yeah 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 well i hope so i mean for me i star trek has been such an integral part of my life for, for yeah. since i was a child and so strange new mm -hmm. worlds i think really taps into all of that like positivity, that wonder of adventure and exploration. Uh, so I'm really hoping that, you know, you get, we at least get, uh, you know, a, a, a few more seasons, maybe a feature film or two, who am I? Hey, uh, hey. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, is there any kind of like behind the scenes, uh, little stories or experiences that like, say you're at like a, a cocktail party with friends or something that you'd bring up as just like a little, little nugget that you oh like to share? God. I think I'm really bad at those. I'm, I think I'm really bad at this, this kind of question. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, like everybody's pretty cool. Like the cast gets along, you know, and everybody's got their ways, but people, yeah, people take care of each other. And um, yeah, we, we, we have fun, you know? Um, and I think that's important to the, to, to the dynamic of the cast. Like it's, it's made it really, because we started um, at the height of lockdown, mm -hmm. you know, so we really had no one but ourselves to engage with um, and doing it with the bare minimum, you know, the whole first season. So, yeah, so people are are quite connected to each other and, yeah, and we're having fun and we're having fun. That's all I can say. Lots of fun. And, um, yeah. yeah. I'll say that. It Sorry to be boring. Sorry oh, no, it's boring. fine. Uh <laughs> One of the it's things that I think is, is, is consistent through all the different uh, Star Trek shows is you, you realize how much the cast and crew that work together end up becoming a family, like happens with, with yeah. each of them, which is incredible to see. Yeah. And I think it's just a testament yeah. to the people who are creating, you know, these, uh, these shows behind the scenes. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So any, any chance Absolutely. you're going to be at New York Comic Con this year? I don't know. I'd like to be. I'd like to be, but maybe so. Hopefully, somebody gets a clue and makes that happen. You know, awesome. and we 
and I will be there. And, yeah, I have, uh, people for Awards Radar and the a podcast I have are actually going to be there doing coverage of it. So I'll, I'll make sure if you're there the, to, for them to come and cover whatever panel you're on or whatever. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. Cool. Well, thanks, Babs. That's all my Thank questions. You. Any last words to say before we uh, you know, head out? It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Um, and um, I wish you very, very well. Cool. Wish thanks so much. You man. all the best. Yeah, all likewise. Right? Thank you so much, right. Lucas. Thank yeah. you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I sure did. Great interview, Admiral. Well, thank you, number one. And remember, you can hear the rest on awardsradar.com. Wait, the Admiral. I had an apple for him. I'm back, guys. Lucas, where did you come from? Ooh, an apple for me? Thanks, Norm. No, this is for the Admiral. And... He was just standing here. That's nice. But Norm, you know that I am the Admiral. Hey, hey, look, I'll I'll take care of that apple. Thanks, Emily. Hey! <laughs> Get a grip, man. We better tell him. Tell me what? About the Admiral. What about the Admiral? Honestly, I think we should at least wait until Dr. Bridget is back. Yeah, that's a good call. Then, let's close things out. I sound strong, good. Let's do that. And as Emily finishes that apple, be sure to subscribe to The Verse wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Also, you can reach us on Twitter at The Versecast. Let us know what you think about the show. And if you want to follow me, Lucas Longacre, you can follow me at Luconian Logic on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you want to follow me, Norm Felker, you can follow me on Twitter at random underscore white guy. Oh, and uh, I might as well plug Bridget since she's not here to do it. Uh, if you want to follow her, you can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at BridgetBrogan16. Oh, are you, are you done with that apple, Emilia? Gulp. <laughs> Just about. If you want to follow me, Emilia, you can find me on Twitter at EmiliaU. Finally, there's our producer, Stephen Prusikowski, who was last seen... Hatching Gorn babies out of his neck. <laughs> yeah, he... He didn't look so well, and I'm, I'm starting to worry because, like, you know, he had these vein things on his neck, and I hope he doesn't have gorn eggs in him. Um, he can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd as at Filmsnork. Dang it. That is our music, I hear. Well, thanks for listening. Keep sending in those questions and comments on our Twitter page, and we'll see you next time in The Verse. The Verse is presented by ScreenRadar.com and produced by Steven Kruzakowski. Oh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Coffee Con. You know, Bert, I really didn't think I would enjoy this, but I have to say thank you. Cockney Con is, well, how did you put it? Ah, fantabulosa. Blimey. That's pretty darn cool of you to say there, Bridget D. Brogan. I sure am glad we got a butcher's hook at this here show. Bridget D. Brogan? Well, that's your name. Bridget D. for Dr. Brogan. Ain't me got that right there, lady? <laughs> oh, well, that is quite kind of you, Bert. I mean, I really do appreciate respect for my credentials. People really just ignore the doc part a lot. But you know, Bert, I have to say, I wasn't sure if I'd like you, but 
you kind of are turning out to be, well, Ryle Gent, aren't you? Golly. Well, my face them is the coldest songbirds we've ever done here. Well, what do you want to do next? Should we go to the Dick Van Dyke Rules of Cockney panel? Or check out the screening of the classic The ABCs of Cockney, featuring Audrey Hepburn. Them sure is some tough choices, I say. Let's give that Dick Van Dyke the old juicy gander. It sure does sound straight up delightful. How about it, Bridget? The let's go get him, eh, metallic mate. Uh, sure thing, right? And as we did walk on over that, why don't you tell me a bit more about your life on the ship? Oh, absolutely. Didn't you have a blasted robot named Ron something or whatnot? Oh, that would be Cronsworth. His name was Cronsworth. Oh, that's it. Cronsworth. You look mocking sad there, didn't you? Whatever happened to that bloke? Why don't you tell me all about him? 